Well, good morning, y'all. Sadly, we uh, are coming to the end of our series today called Strong in the Broken Places. I hope that you have enjoyed it and have gotten as much out of it as I have. I literally, like when I come up here, this is my own little personal therapy session, and I preach to myself. If y'all get anything out of it, great, but this is really all about me. Um, so, we've been going through the 12 steps, right? And um, we've learned that the 12 steps um, really are based on biblical principles and that God is really at the heart of the whole 12-step thing. And so today is the final step, step 12, which says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we commit to carry this message to help others in their journey and to practice these principles in all aspects of our lives. And so as we come to this place, this final step, the question, I think, becomes a profound one. How do we pick up the pieces of our past and move on from here as a new person? Our brokenness is part of who we are. Like, it's part of what makes us who we are. It's in our DNA. And we have a choice. We can either embrace it and understand that it's part of what got me to where I'm at today, or we can spend the rest of our lives running from it like we're running from our own shadow. The common bond for all of us, I think, as human beings, is that we all, experience pain and hardship, failures and heartbreak. And while my pain may be different than your pain, no one, no one can escape its grasp. In the uh, book by Ernest Hemingway, A Farewell to Arms, it says this, the world breaks everyone. And afterward, many are strong in the broken places. But those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure it'll kill you too. But there will be no special hurry. And so that's really the question we're here to answer this morning. How do we become strong in the places of our lives where we were once broken? Mm-hmm. So, how do we move forward from here? How do we create authentic, sustainable change that will help us to become strong in the broken places of our lives. There's just really two quick things that I want to say, and then we'll be done. We'll wrap it up. And the first one is this, that as we move forward, we have to be willing to reach back. And that's really what step 12 is really all about, where it says we commit to carry this message to help others in their journey. You know, if, if God saw fit to save our rear ends from the pits of hell, 
and we have been given the gift of forgiveness and grace, then we need to give that same gift of forgiveness and grace that we have received and share it with other people. And we have to be willing to give them a hand up and to go back into the ditch and help them out where you once were and look for opportunities where we can help people who are also struggling. Because I think that the threat is that we can become strong and healthy and get to the other side of it. We can get changed and we can move on. And when we do, there's a lot of us that become a little judgy. We become judgmental of other people who are going through the same stuff. Because now we feel like we're in a different place and so we look down on those who are struggling with the exact same things we struggled with back then. And we forget so easily how it used to be. But God says, now that I pulled you out of the pit, turn around and go back in and help bring somebody else out. Give them your hand and treat them with the same grace and respect that you received in a non-judgmental way. Because I'm telling you, I'm tired of all the judgment in the world. None of us ain't got any room to judge anybody else. The bottom line is, as we move forward, we have to learn to be givers and not takers. And when we can finally get our eyes off of dealing with our own stuff, suddenly we can look up. And we can begin to see and look for opportunities to help people who are in the struggle, who are in going through the same things we went through, which by the way, when we're helping those people, it motivates us to continue to stay on the path because when we help others, we help ourselves. Second thing is that as we move forward, we have to live differently. Now this may seem obvious, but as we learned in the message back when we talked about the change or die, the odds are against us changing. And so whatever we can do to put the odds in our favor is super critical to be able to move forward to create sustainable change. If you were to look back on your life at the times when you have grown the most, do you think it would be in those times when you were just coasting along and everything was good? Or would it be during those times of pain and hardship? It's during the hard times, right? I mean, that's when the hard times is when God can finally be freed up to change us because we're finally open to it, because we throw up our hands and we finally say, I need God. And so we allow him to come in and create change in us. And just like when Jesus forgives the woman who was caught in adultery and says, now, go and sin no more. What he's saying is, go now and live differently. And that's the same challenge that we have in front of us. That in the same way that when the smoke clears, God says, now, don't change back to the way you were. You have received a second chance. Don't squander it. Live differently. 
But don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you've been through. Don't forget what got you here where you are today because that's what keeps us grateful. That's what keeps us humble. But don't go back. Jesus addresses this very issue in a story that he tells in the Gospel of Matthew when he talks about this house that's being occupied by this demon as a way to describe our own lives when we allow the wrong stuff to be in control. And so in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, he says, when someone rids themselves of an evil spirit, that spirit goes out of that man and he goes looking for another place to live and to rest. But when he finds none, he says, I know. I will return back to the house from which I came. And when he goes back, He finds it empty, swept, put in order. It's clean. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they re-enter that person and move back in. So now that man is worse off than he was in the beginning. And so according to this picture that Jesus is painting for us, when the time comes to get rid of all the the junk in our lives and live differently, we kick out this evil demon, our Goliath, our issues. We get it out of our lives and we clean house. And when we do, man, the house looks awesome. It's clean. It smells great because we've kicked out all the bad stuff, which is all great, except for when the demon that was kicked out comes back, he finds that his room is still unoccupied. It's empty And what's more, it's all cleaned up and now looks better than ever. It reminds me when our kids come home from college. (laughs) So the demon then goes out and invites all of his little demon buddies to move back into the house with him. And now there's like twice as many demons. And Jesus said that the end result will be that now this man is worse off than before. But how is that? If we've done the work to clean the house, to get rid of the junk, how is it that we are now somehow worse off instead of better? When we decide to overcome our issues and to kick out our Goliaths out of our lives, we clean house. We get rid of all of our bad habits. We stop doing the bad things. We stop doing the sinful things that we were doing because we're wanting a fresh Start And many of us have done a great job about cleaning all that bad stuff out. The problem is that when we clean that out, it leaves our lives open and vulnerable because we've never replaced the bad habits with new ones. And so while we were living an unfulfilled life before, when we were in all of the midst of our issues and our junk, We are still living an unfulfilled life. Now, we've just gotten rid of the bad stuff. And so what happens is that sin creeps back in because we're still looking to fill that void. We're still trying to find fulfillment and purpose. And so eventually we start missing our old habits again. We start romanticizing about how great life was when we were filling our lives with that destructive behavior and that stuff that we work so hard to get rid of comes back. 
Only this time now, it's twice as bad. And the growth that we thought we were experiencing was only temporary as we fall back to where we were before. And we're now worse off, and I'll tell you why. Because we don't have the strength to go all the way back to the beginning, to step one, and to do the work, to do the heavy lift, to go through it again, and again, and again. And so what happens is, we become resigned to the fact that, you know what? I can't change. Remember, the odds are against you. And this is where we begin to lose hope. And this is where we just become resigned to say, you know what? This is just who I am. That Goliath that was down there in the recliner in the basement, he wasn't that bad of a guy. And so when we get lost this time, the fear is that we may never, ever be able to recover out of it. And so, one of the biggest challenges that we face in creating sustainable change is to replace the bad stuff with new stuff. Is to replace the stuff that was bringing us down with stuff that will lift us up. To replace with what was once there with something that has meaning. And part of the equation is what Greg talked about last week in step 11. It's the spiritual practices. It's prayer and Bible study and going to church and all of that stuff that helps the day in and day out helps us to grow and to fill our lives with the stuff of God. But most of the time, I have to tell you this, the Christian life day to day, there is no wow factor. There's no big wave of emotion that's going to cause us to grow. There's no miracle coming down out of the heavens that's causing us to be wowed and inspiring us to be great in God. The truth is that walking every day in Jesus is just that. It's just walking every day, standing firm every day, filling our lives with the stuff of God. As the 12 step says, it's just a day in day out. It's a day-by-day day thing. It's the same thing with the Christian faith. Every day we get up and we say, I'm going to give this day to God. The key to spiritual growth is creating a faith that moves us from a, a spirituality that is just about going to church on Sunday mornings into a vibrant, living, growing faith that drives everything that I do. It drives every decision that I make and every move that I make, every direction that I take is driven by this faith. 90% of the Christian faith is just filling our lives up with the right stuff. The other 10% is how are we going to react when the bad stuff hits. The greatest challenge of moving forward is to empty ourselves of all the meaningless stuff that we fill our lives up with and filling ourselves up with the stuff of God that has real meaning. To move from a life where we're just caught up in the daily grind and we're just busy all the time because we're just numbing out and we don't want to have any space to think about where we're at and who we are. To now moving to a life 
of fulfillment and purpose. I got to tell you, I face this in my own life where I constantly have to work to keep all of the junk that shouldn't be in there out so that I can let the stuff of God in. But the other part of fulfilling of filling ourselves back up with sustainable change is to also find a new sense of mission and purpose where you are no longer defined by your past mistakes or your issues, but instead you are now driven by a vision of a new you, of becoming the person that God created you to become. And you now have a purpose that drives everything that you do that goes beyond the realms of this world. That is the secret to creating sustainable change to filling ourselves up with a sense of purpose and mission where we can have a life of fulfillment. After we've emptied the house, we fill it with things that have meaning. All right, I'm done now. (laughs) That was all 12 steps. And that's all I have to say about that. So how'd you do? What are you thinking? Is it something that you're working through? Is it something that you're like figuring it out? You're working the steps? I will tell you this, it is not like an easy fix. This is something that carries on throughout the rest of our lives because we, truth is, we have an amazing capacity to screw up our lives. And so this is something that we're doing over and over and over again. And if we can keep these 12 steps fresh, I promise you it will become easier and easier to overcome the mistakes that we make moving forward. And I think it's really important to to have that um, in mind. So I just want to, um, I just want to leave you with a, a very, personal story for me that's really inspired me in my own life and made me a believer in the possibilities of of change. Uh, So I am uh, the baby of my family. I'm the youngest of six kids. My siblings are all significantly older than me, and they always refer to me as the golden child, mom and dad's favorite, the spoiled one. Now, In my defense, when you're like a pastor's kid and you decide to go in the family business, it makes it easier to be the favorite kid, right? (laughs) So it wasn't like a big, heavy lift. Um, But if I was the golden child of my family, my brother Brad, he was the black sheep. So my brother Brad came to us when he was three as a foster kid, and um, he was abandoned by his parents who actually left him in their trailer in central Illinois when they went uh, running from the law. And my uncle discovered him several days later. And the thing about Brad is that he was actually born with fetal alcohol syndrome. And so that means that by the age of 14, he was a raging alcoholic and he was doing a fifth of whiskey a day. 
because of his drinking, he made a lot of bad choices and he was constantly in, in trouble. And he eventually did three different stents in the penitentiary, um, starting at the age of 16. So needless to say, Brad caused a lot of chaos and pain uh, in our family. And I, my room was right across from my parents, and I have vivid memories, and I can still hear it to this day, of them crying themselves to sleep every single night. And most parents, I think, would have given up on their kids a long time ago, but for whatever reason, like these guys, like whenever it got worse, it's like they just broke down a bit and then rose up and got stronger and increased their love and faith and did whatever it takes to continue to stand by him. But I have to tell you, the, the idea of him ever turning his life around was immeasurably more than any of us could have ever imagined. Well, skip forward several, several, several years later, um, he actually did. He turned his life around. And unfortunately, uh, my mom died young, so she was never able to see it, but um, he had uh, an amazing relationship with my dad as he started to turn his life around, and they would meet at a cafe every Friday, and he, he owned his own business, so he was a tree guy, so my dad would go with him on bids and watch him work, and he was with him all the time. And so my brother told me the story that on the 10th anniversary of his sobriety, they were at a cafe um, like they were every other Friday. And my brother just pushes his 10-year coin over to my dad and as a gift, as a way to say thank you for never giving up on me. And he said, Dad looked at him. And he looked at the coin, and he looked at him, and he started to cry. And he said, you know, the son that I knew that I believed was in there all these years, I've been looking for him. I just didn't know how to find him. And he said, dad held out his hand to shake his hand he thought it was odd and he said pleased to meet you I'm your dad and you're the son I've been waiting for and I couldn't be more proud My dad died in 2015, and I can tell you that when he died, my brother was his favorite. <laughs> and I love that. And so every year since my dad died, I have it on my calendar. October 10th is my brother's sobriety date, and I call him every year on that day, and I tell him how proud I am of him, and I tell him every time that in the end, you were dad's favorite. 
And so this last year, October 10th, 2022, Brad celebrated his 20th year of sobriety. So I'm super proud. So I can tell you with all honesty, I can stand up here and look you straight in the eye and tell you with all honesty that if it can be true for him, it can be true for you. That there is nothing that is too big for us to overcome. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine, according to his great power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. Because it ain't us. He can do immeasurably more than anything you could ever imagine for your life. But do you have the courage to imagine it? Do you have the courage to make it happen? Can we rise up and leave our past behind us, all of our mistakes, all of our junk, and leave it in the rearview mirror? Can we rise up and find the strength to overcome our Goliaths, those things that seem so insurmountable, that take us down over and over? Can we rise up and just quietly and humbly walk every day in Jesus? Can we rise up and become strong in the broken places?